So hey guys, how are we doing today? We doing good? Uh, so I've been in Arkansas the last week. Um, it's really funny when I told uh, one of our deacons, Carol Crable, that um, I was doing a Skype interview with the church in Arkansas, and then I was going to preach out there. She was freaking out because she thought like I was trying to get a job. Quite the contrary. Quite the contrary. I was trying to get support for us here. Um, and uh, I mean, not really trying to. It was just like it came to us, and it felt like the right thing to do. So um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed my time in Arkansas. Um, I got to speak to, I don't know, probably thousands of people by the time I was done <clears throat> about us, about you guys, about how much I love you and how much I love our church, how much I adore this community and the people in it. And so it was really fun. I got to, to sleep on a farm, um, which was neat, because um, like cow, <clears throat> cows and roosters do stuff in the morning in the farm. Do you, guys, do you guys know that? I can deal with like car alarms more than I can deal with that. So I had the noise machine on full blast. Um, I, I got to, like, like every morning I'd wake up and I would go, like, play with the horses because <laughs> I could, you know? And so I'd go pet the horses and, like, I don't know if I'm going to get poop out of these shoes. Like, these might be toast. There's just so much poop in my shoes. Um, I got to go, like, I got to horse ride and I chased a llama around on a horse. Um, I, uh, I was on the horse once and it, like, jumped um, over something and... Uh, you, I, I don't really curse um, at all, and I came very nearly close to being with the missions director for this church and like letting out a big old curse. Um, but it, instead, I said Shoshana. Um, so that was helpful. I met a pig named Chris. They named him their pig Chris P. Bacon. Um, I got to. Uh, I mean, it was just so fun, and I ate crispy, fresh bacon, and I ate eggs that had been laid that morning, and I ate uh, sausage that was made by the family. It was incredible, but I can tell you, too, that I spoke at this missions banquet or conference or whatever it is, and they showed a video of our church, and it was right before I spoke, you know, kind of like that bumper video before you speak, right? And um, the problem is, is I saw all you guys, and then I'd been there for like three or four days at that point, and I just started bawling. Like, I don't know what it was. It was like, I love you guys, you know? And so I started bawling, and then I get up there to speak. <laughs> it's like, uh. So I had to reset myself, tell people about how I almost cursed from the horse, and then I got back into it. So um, I really do love you guys, and when I'm gone, I miss you, and um, I'm glad to be back. So uh, today uh, we are going to be um, in Revelation 22, 1 through 5. 22, 1 through 5. Basically go to the end of your Bibles. And you'll find it. Uh, we have Bibles available to borrow, to read. We have Bibles in English and Espanol as well. Um, I'm not going to be preaching in Espanol. I still need to work on that. So Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. And just uh, giving you a, an aside, I believe that one of those has to be avocado, am I right? And one has to be mango. I'm just thinking mango too needs to be one of them. Okay, continuing very seriously. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. 
This is God's word. Will you pray with me, friends? God, Father, uh, we thank you for the gifts that you constantly give us. Um, we don't deserve them. Um, God, I thank you for the way that you've brought us together, like this, this family of God, uh, God, that, that you've made us a family. Lord, I know there are many here today who are tired and discouraged and addicted or hurting. And God, we ask that you would be our relief. Would you give us a sense today of what you are doing and what you will do one day when you'll set all things back to right? That day when joints will no longer ache. That day when disease no longer ravages our bodies and a day when war will be finished forever. Or would you give us patience until that day comes and until then, help us to live out your love for those around us. Teach us today. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, Jordan did a, a great job from what I've heard. I listened to about 30 minutes because that's what I could get on the farm um, of his sermon. And I just listened while I pet horses. But we've seen really the outside of the, of the holy city, right? We've seen um, the garden. We, we've seen a back to the garden idea that, that once there was this beautiful garden that Adam and Eve lived in. Um, and uh, that was it. And it was beautiful. And it was perfect. And there was nothing else. But... Um, but we chose sin. We chose to, to seek our own way and not God's way for our life. And so, I mean, I want to put that on Adam and Eve, but um, I choose sin sometimes. So I'm just going to say most likely I would have too. Um, and so there was this time when we went back to Eden, right? Back to the garden, back to perfection. That's what we're seeing here. Um, but the thing is, is like, uh, it's not just Adam and Eve anymore, right? It's like there's a city now. Um, and we live in cities, and I'm so thankful that we live in cities because I could not take the farm for that long. Um, so, so now we're back into a city, and this is what, what we're talking about today. It's the city of God, a beautiful place. Um, I, I remember back in 2015 when I got to move back to San Diego. I had all these ideas of what San Diego ha- was. Um, I had forgotten that probably uh, several hundred thousand people had moved here since I left. Oh my gosh, if you guys go to Chula Vista and you go to the Costco or the Trader Joe's, or any of those things, it's like you, you walk like this, right? And your feet get run over constantly. You need to wear army boots when you go. Um, it was like I'd come back to my perfect city that I envisioned, and it wasn't quite the perfection that I wanted it to be. Um, uh, the energy bills were out of this world. It was crazy. Yeah, I can get an amen on that, right? How about the cost of water? Oh my gosh, that will make you just, yeah. The, the cost of water here in San Diego is ridiculous, mostly because we don't really have any. Um, oh, by the way, when I was in Arkansas, dude, I took the longest showers because they're like, oh, we get so much rain here. I'm like, well, cool, because I'm going to take, I'm, yeah, I'm going to take a long one. If I had a headache, I would just take a hot, warm, okay, massaging shower. So, um, back, okay. Then there's pollution here. Crazy pollution. Like, I go surfing in the same place where there's a storm drain that just goes right out to sea. Um, and so it's, it's weird because really, like, we have this reputation of America's finest city, right? Isn't that what we say? And for the most part, like, uh, it's pretty awesome here. I mean, there's no bugs, uh, not to the extent that there is in other parts of the world. And that's, like, a big deal for me. Um, and uh, it's just beautiful to live here. The weather is, is good for the most part. Um, it's America's finest city, but it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, is it? It's... it's it's broken, and, and there's poverty, and there's hurt, and there's pain all around us, and there's water bills, and there's all these other things. But today, we're going to read about God's perfect city, 
Like this thing that San Diego wishes it was, that is what we get to see today. God's perfect city. And so um, my first point is in the redeemed city, we will drink and be satisfied. In the redeemed city, we will drink and be satisfied. Uh, It said, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing the fruit every month. All people in God's new city will have healing through Jesus. Now, why is it through Jesus? Um, Here's something important. Uh, One of the things that I love to do is I love that I get to study for you. Um, Not that you shouldn't study on your own. You absolutely should be. But I get to, like, go just a little bit deeper into it, right? Um, Here's what's amazing. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this when you've read it, but where does the water come from? I've always just imagined the water going through the city. But, but the water's coming from the throne of God. Like, I read that, but I didn't read that, right? I don't know if you saw that. You might be less ADD than me or something like that, but I didn't see it. And, and really, what, what is that saying about where, like, what is it saying when the water is coming from the throne? It's, it's saying it's coming from uh, Jesus himself. He says that he is the living water, right? And so we see that the water that sustains the city is originating from Jesus, Um, that is good news, friends. Now, um, there are several verses in the Old Testament that speak to this water flowing through the city. There's Ezekiel 47, 1 through 2. Ezekiel 47, 1 through 2. I'm just going to go real fast through these. Um, Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Next, he brought me out by the way of the north gate. This is prophecy, by the way. And led me around the outside to the outer gate that faced east. There the water was trickling from the south side. Something interesting here. So the water in his vision is coming from the temple. Now, who was thought to reside in the Jewish temple? God himself. So here we have um, water originating from the temple. um, And then in the uh, new final verse, the last word, we see that the water is originating from God himself. That's cool. Psalm 46, 4 through 5. Psalm 46, 4 through 5. There is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Okay, so here, once again, it says um, that, that water is coming from the holy city, and it's originating from uh, God's dwelling place. So like it's coming from God's home. Isn't that kind of cool that we see that this water that sustains us, this water that provides the fruit, that provides everlasting life, originates from God. It's not just like he has a creation. It's like it's coming straight from him. So we are sustained by him here. At the end of time, we will find that our sustainability that you know, our environmental experts always talk about will be just straight from Jesus, which I find to be awesome. Now, this water that satisfies, it stands in stark contrast to um, what we drink in today. Like, even believers on this earth chase after anything that might make them feel satisfied, right? Like, we all do it. Like, today's 3D TV is tomorrow's virtual reality television. Like, we're thirsting for it. We want it so bad. And then it just doesn't sustain us, right? Like, yesterday's Prius, which I was super excited about, is tomorrow's Tesla Roadster, because we all need a Tesla Roadster, right? Um, Today's job promotion is tomorrow's job promotion. Today, you're a vice president, Tomorrow you'll want to be the CEO. I don't know how many vice presidents we have, but um, we always want the next thing, don't we? Like nothing seems to satisfy like him. And, and it's funny because as a pastor, 
Um, my job is to preach to you the same stinking message every week and find a different way to say it. But he is the only one who can sustain us because we always want the next thing. As a child, you dream for the next toy. And eventually, it becomes last year's toy, last week's toy, the toy you don't want anymore. Really, with my kids, it's just the toy that the other kid is holding, right? Um, then it's like, maybe to, for me, it's like, make the Little League team, and then I'll be good. Like, if I could just make the Little League team, God, if you're up there, then I will be satisfied forever. Please help me to be the first baseman on the Little League team and help me to hit a home run, which I could never do. Um, but I was the first baseman. How about this? Then it was like, uh, just God, give me a girlfriend. Oh, God, just give me a girlfriend, please. You know, God, just give me a girlfriend. I will be happy. I'll never ask you for anything again if you just give me a girlfriend. We get a girlfriend and we're not satisfied. It's what happens. Then you just got to get your driver's license because Lord knows I need to get away from my parents as soon as possible. Lord, just give me that driver's license. You get your driver's license and you're not satisfied. Well, what's next? God, just let me get my high school diploma. Lord, Lord Jesus, let me pass Miss Ada's class, that math class that I went through twice. Um, and I got a 2.1. I was just barely passing. Um, and it was like, Lord, just, if you just get me out of here, I will be happy. What is it after that? Lord, just give me a college degree. Or maybe for you, God, just give me a wife. God, just give me kids. God, just give me retirement. It, it goes so fast. But to, you get to that point where you're like, God, just let me be retired. We always end up thirsty. Like we're just, we look to that next thing, but it never satisfies. Like we think it will, does it? Like we always think the next thing's going to do it and never does. We seek final fulfillment in this world, but it's like drinking salt water. Like it might taste good for just a second. It might help us for a second, but we're, we're suddenly chapped and we're trying to satisfy. I don't think that it's a coincidence that water is a fixture in biblical language. It's a constant because it sustains us, right? We need it to survive and we never stop needing it. I can think of my time in Balan, uh, in Haiti, in Quadabouquet. And I remember that kids would trick us into giving them more water. Like they would pretend they had a different name and things like that. And in, in the end, they need water, right? Like, so like we would be mad at them for tricking us into giving them water, but at the same time, like, who should have to trick you for water? Water is needed. Water is, is absolutely needed for everyone. It, sustain, it sustains their very life. And we found ourselves giving water freely as much as we could, even to, um, at some point, finding ourselves feeling thirsty because we wanted to give that water away. I think about um, uh, the, the Starbucks on Euclid. If you ever go to the Starbucks on Euclid over here, they pass out water like it's candy. And, and why do they do that? Um, it, it's really funny, actually, that, that someone got arrested being at a Starbucks because I actually feel really good about this Starbucks right here. Um, uh, I feel like sometimes they do better than us, <laughs> uh, than us as the church. Like, I feel like they're better at entertaining strangers. They're better at caring for the poor than we are. Because what do they do? Anyone who comes in to get water at the Starbucks on Euclid, um, no matter how crazy they are, and like, dude, sometimes they're crazy, and sometimes they're not wearing all their clothes, and sometimes all these things are going on in their life. And yet every time, um, the people at that Starbucks are trained to say, absolutely, um, just come right over here. I'll give you your water. And then someone will say, hey, I want the big one. Absolutely. Can I get you that? Why is, it, why is it that this corporation does this? I have no idea why they do it, but what I can say is that I see um, the love of God in them. <laughs> I see, so maybe they're not necessarily Christians, um, but we might call it the common grace of God that is working through them. Perhaps uh, their conscience that has been uh, uh, fed by um, Christians around them or anything like that. But the thing is, is that they care because they know that water helps people sustain life. 
Do we all know about the Flint water crisis? In 2014, the state of Michigan switched the city of Flint to contaminated water from a local river. Sadly, they did not check well, and they did not treat the water as they needed, and the entire city was exposed to dangerous levels of lead. The state has been making strides to reverse this for quite some time. It's been about 18 months that the residents of Flint um, were given hazardous water, um, but people still today complain about showers that burn and water that smells terrible. This is a tragedy, right? Because water sustains people. And it's as long as it's not the final city, they need to continually be sustained by it. People today still complain because they're afraid too. So they can test the water all you want, but suddenly when, when your source of life has been contaminated and questioned, put into question, you, f- you have fear. And so when you read the stories of people from Flint right now, they have fear, they have more miscarriages than anywhere else, and they have all this stuff going on inside of them because even if their water's clean now, the one thing that they need to survive Um, they can't trust it anymore. And so they're afraid. And when you're afraid for your source of water, um, you don't know what to do. Now, we don't have to fear the same way they do. We have clean water here in San Diego. Um, But uh, the thing is, is that the the state has been giving out water uh, bottles to, to people, everyone who wants it, and they stopped that this week. So this week, do you know who's stepping up though? The church. The churches are providing bottled water to the people, and other states from out, out of the state are actually providing water. Um, Flint resident Shae Cobb says this. She says, I'm just worried about people. I'm worried about my aunts, you know. I'm worried about my friends. I'm worried about the babies, the children that go to our school. This is because water sustains us. But it's not like the living water that Jesus offers. We have to go back and back and back to the well. And that may, not just, that may not be water for you, it may be something else, but we find ourselves seeking after other things that just might sustain us, and it's only Jesus, only Jesus that sustains us. That is why we see water coming from the temple, that is why we see water coming from his abode, and that is why we see water coming from his throne, because Jesus satisfies. We may not be flint, but this world leaves us thirsty, and we cannot trust the things we thirst for to be good for us. Our hunger and our thirst reek of injustice and the brokenness of this world. That's because the only true satisfaction comes from Jesus. And that's the gospel, right? The gospel is that we needed something. Like so many times I talk to people that say, hey, I try to be a good person. I think God would be cool with me. I got a text from someone who said that to me just this last week. I think God would be cool with me. I'm trying to be nice to my neighbors. And I'm like, no, 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 no. God's not cool with any of us. Like he loves us enough to say, you can never be good enough. And so he, he does something for us. What did he do? He sent his son to this earth to die for us so that we might have life because we are not good enough. And, and while you may see that as bad news, I see it as good news because he was good enough for us. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus and we say, hey, um, take it all. When we do that to Jesus, he gives us back our lives, but it's better. And when the Father looks down upon us, those who have surrendered our life to Jesus, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see our badness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. There's a big churchy word there, it's, it's in the Bible that says it's the imputed righteousness of Jesus. It's like putting on a coat of Jesus around you, and when people see it, they see Jesus. So, that is the sustainability that we can hope for, that comes from Jesus. He is the living water, and he helps us to never thirst again, but it will not be until that day that we will be perfected in his sight. So even though we're seen as good, we're still not perfect. 
Water sustains us, but it's not like the living water. And so the Holy Spirit works in us, and he begins to satisfy us. But even on this side of heaven, like, we won't be perfect. But when we are a well-watered tree and we're watered from Jesus, when he is doing the watering, like, when you have to see yourself as a tree, what do we do? We bear fruit, okay? And, and what does that fruit look like when you're being watered by Jesus? Well, it's in Galatians 5, through 23. I'm glad you asked. Um, in Galatians 5, through 23, some of you may have heard this before. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, some of you may say, dude, I got like six of those down. I would say that if you do, it might just be that you have a personality like that. But the Holy Spirit desires to have all of this fruit come through you. Even if you're super messed up and jacked up like I have been, like he still wants to water us and yield good fruit. So in the redeemed city, we see that we will taste and be satisfied. We will drink and be satisfied. Our second point is that when God is present, the city is healed. When God is present, the city is healed. God's presence redeems the city. Uh, The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Guys, if you can't see how this is amazing news for us, like, I'm sad for you. This is amazing news. God's presence redeems the city. This is not just like some magic aloe vera plant. This is redemption for the whole city. This is not just used for my burns, for your burns. This is the whole city that is redeemed. Now, to fully understand why this idea of the city would have been crazy to John and his readers, we have to remember the fighting that was going on presently in the Middle East and and at Rome and at the time Um, this word was speaking directly to that. So if you remember some of the series that we did before and we talked about all these different cities, there was crazy stuff going on in each city. People were coming down on them, right? And so here, these people from these cities in Asia that were given hope are given even more hope to see that, oh, one day the city will be okay. Christians were being dragged into Colosseums, if you'll remember, and street corners only to be massacred in front of like rabid fans. Like this was their sports center, okay? Disease was rampant in the cities to the point that people would flee the city. Um, And if you caught wind of a plague starting to hit, you packed up your family. You didn't care if you built a house, you'd pack it up because you didn't want disease. In the same way, uh, we had natural disasters. I don't know if you remember us talking about a few of those cities, but several of the cities in Asia that Jesus was speaking to early on in um, in this book of Revelation, they would flee the city because of earthquakes, They would say, you're crazy to go back into the city. And they would set up encampments outside until um, eventually maybe things might get back to normal. But many times people just stay out of the city. Um, And then, of course, there was racism between the Jew, the Gentile, and the Samaritan. And it was fleshed out in violence constantly. Constantly people were fighting against each other because they looked different, because they celebrated their faith in a different way on a different mountain or anything like that. They were fighting. But God's presence redeems the city. And for those people who were living in a time when they they were always afraid, this would have been such good news, friends. We consider the ways that, like, he could redeem our city, right? The way he could redeem our our, our whole uh, United States. Um, Friends, we have people who are alive in this room uh, when uh, there was something called redlining going in our country, which meant that if you were not white, you were not allowed to own homes in most neighborhoods, Matter of fact, my neighbor Karina, um, on her, uh, on her, what's it called, a, a deed, it says, 
It says, uh, no Negro may sleep overnight in this house. Can you believe that? In San Diego, right? We don't have racism here. (laughs) So, we know that we do, right? Like, we're not pretending that it's not happening still, right? Um, And uh, the thing is, is that uh, this has gone on all over our, our United States. The, the, you guys know about Eight Mile, right? In, in, in um, Detroit, that splits between the white and the black side. And they would only give loans to the white side, but then they had a problem because the white side was getting a little too close to the black side. So what did they do? They built a wall so that you could build all the way to the wall to have um, white houses that would get loans from the FHA. Our government was a part of that. How about education in the inner city for those who are poor, black, or Hispanic? It's disproportionate, friends. It still is disproportionate based on your race. Now, we could talk about different things like that, and I'm cool if you want to meet with me and come at me about those, because I got some numbers for you, Um, but it's still happening. Um, There's still racial hostility between people in our country. Actually, it might be worse than it's it's been in a long time. Um, But God redeems the city. There will be a day when every nation, tribe, and tongue will gather together and we will see um, the love of God on each other's faces and we will bear all the fruit of the Spirit together. And whatever, whatever way we've been raised, I was in the South, you guys. I had people tell me, oh, it was totally normal when I was a kid to use the N-word. I'm like, now, of course, they didn't say the N-word. They actually said it to me. And I, <laughs> like, I don't know if you have certain words that just kind of set you off, but they would just say it to me and they'd say, we, we didn't know it was wrong. But now I'm teaching my kids that it is. Do you know what? That's the redeeming work of Christ now at work in their lives. But one day they won't have to teach their kids that anymore. One day we'll be in the redeemed city. Because God is present now through his Holy Spirit, through his church. Yes, his church is redeeming the city now. Who makes God's presence tangible to your city, to your neighbors, to those around you? You. How good is that? Now, you guys know uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. It's often quoted, and I hate to always quote Martin Luther King, so I like, usually don't, but um, I was reading a commentary, and it's, it actually used uh, his I Have a Dream speech you, like, in reference to this section. Um, and so I, I just feel like I have to give you just a little taste of that city that Martin Luther King dreamed about. Um, here, Dr. King says, I say to you today, my friends, though even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Now in his mountaintop speech that Martin Luther King gave the day before he was assassinated, 50 years ago, just last week, he spoke about how he probably wouldn't get there. He, he spoke of himself like Moses, who looked um, from the mountain and could see the promised land, but he wasn't going to go there. Friends, I, I don't know if we'll see it on this earth in the same way. We can move towards it, but there is something great to know that one day the city will be fully healed for his glory, that God's glory will be made tangible. We're not quite there yet, but God can use his church to move towards it. And then perhaps once we get there, it won't seem like as big a jump. I believe as long as we call ourselves Christians, we should not look the other way when we see injustice and oppression in our cities. Not for Flint, not for those who are terrorized by the drug crisis, 
not for those who are in danger. We are God's hands and feet right now, working to redeem our city. There's a reason why we're called City Life Church. It's because we desire to see those in the city thrive. Jesus is healing us for good. And that brings people to know him, but it also redeems our city. So let's start with our block. Let's start with our neighbors. Let's start with our schools. Let's start with San Diego. And we can't do it without prayer. We can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. So in the redeemed city, we will find fresh water. We will find healing. Finally, in the redeemed city, we will see, and that's point three, that God will be our light. God himself will be our light. It says that night will be no more in verse five. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Isn't that awesome? Oh my gosh. God himself will be our light. In John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. So the thing is, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, read scripture where someone wrestles with God. Um, we don't really see any time that anyone meets with the Father himself. Um, we see Jesus most likely pre-incarnate, which just means before his birth. There are many people who believe that when it says the angel of God in the Old Testament, that's Jesus. And then we have Jesus, the incarnation, like God himself on the planet. But we don't know that anyone has actually seen God. There's one spot where Moses like, kind of comes in contact with him, and he's pretty much warned, like, dude, if you like, full-on see me, you're going to die. Like, have you guys seen, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark when, like, they open up the ark and, like, God's glory is revealed and then the, like, claymation faces, like, explode and stuff like that? That's kind of what I think really, truly is a great representation of what it means to come into contact with God. Like, we cannot withstand his holiness. But here, here, we have in verse 5, people being entertained by God and enjoying God and seeing his light and feeling it. And, and I got to think that it's more than just light, it's warmth, it's peace. Last week, Jordan mentioned how heaven can, be boring, can seem boring at times based on who talks about it, right? Like, oh my gosh, we're going to be worshiping God forever. Like, hmm, can I take five? Like, what? I mean, I don't really want that. I, I don't understand. Like, like, what is that like? I don't even get it. Um, but I agree with Jordan that people have it all wrong. Like, heaven sounds kind of boring because... Um, like, we're not really thinking about who heaven is about. Um, like, it's going to be about him. Now, that may sound weird and self-centered, but here's the thing. He is the one who created waterfalls. Like, I went to a waterfall this week, and it was stinking incredible. And I wasn't ready to leave. I just had to catch a flight. I could have sat there and just enjoyed it for quite some time. If you drive through Denver, if you drive through even our mountains here, like, you look at the mountains and you say, Dang, those are immense. Those are incredible. And the closer you get to them, the more intimidating they become. Have you ever been around a whale? A whale, a blue whale that would stretch probably past this room. He created those. The ocean. How about the redwoods woods where you could like drive a car through a redwood? How about scorpions, scorpion fish? He invented those things. Sand dunes, like glorious, amazing sand dunes. Great white sharks. The Himalayas. He created all those things, and he created them by speaking. Like, like you're going to go meet the most famous person in the world, 
And right now, all you have of him is like a book on tape. Like the mountains and the whales and all these things are just a tiny sliver of his glory. When we're there and we're in his presence and he shines brighter than the sun, and we get to rule alongside him and experience his love in a tangible way, greater than any love you've experienced from any family member or friend, more joy than you've ever experienced, more beauty than you've ever seen with your eyes. I got to think we have to have new eyes that can withstand the weight of God's glory because to look upon them would, would be that scene from Indiana Jones. But now we have been given new eyes, a new resurrected body, and we look upon God and we say, oh, M gosh. I guess we, could, we would really say, oh, my God. Well, it's appropriate. The dude speaks and volcanoes are formed. He speaks and volcanoes are formed. He speaks and children are born. There's no way this city is not going to be rocking. There's no way this city is not going to be amazing. There's no way his presence will not overwhelm us. We will be overwhelmed with joy. I promise you. And that is the promise we have in Scripture. And that is why it's so good that when we get to the end, we just have one more sermon next week about the end, and then we'll continue to move on. But when we get to the end, we see it is good that all the wrongs have been righted, the death will be untrue, and that we will be in the presence of glory. I want to hang with that dude. And we will. We will stand and kneel in the presence of the creator and redeemer of the universe, and our heads won't explode. <laughs> but that can only happen tomorrow if we surrender today. And, and um, one of the things that I thought about church before I became a Christian what it is, was that it was manipulative. Get people to surrender now because then you can get them to be part of your club and things like that. And, and, and now that I've come to know Jesus, um, I cry thinking about those people that won't be there. Some of them are family members. Some of them are, are friends. Some of them may be you. And what I say to you is, don't go another day without surrendering. If you believe this to be true, surrender your life to him. Say, God, be my everything. Be my light. Be my glory. Be my hope. Be my joy. Be my salvation. Because I love you. And, and I don't want you to do it just because you'll get something, but I promise you, it is better than anything we can muster. It's better than any goodness you can muster to follow Jesus and accept him on all levels as the true and good God. I exhort you, don't wait until tomorrow. If this is pressury, forgive me, but I would rather you feel pressured than go to hell. What is hell? Hell is absence of that God. When you go to hell, he's, he's not there. And, and some of you say, well, you know what? I'm doing okay without him now. And I tell you, he's here. He's present. He's present now. And you get to enjoy his grace now. So to even imagine what it would be like to be without him. I encourage you, don't go till tomorrow. Go and go before his cross. Go and surrender your life to him now. And so with that being said, I'm just going to give you an opportunity now to pray that with me. If that's you, let's, let's do this. Let's pray. You can pray silently. I'm not going to have you stand up and like come running on the stage. I just want you to pray and surrender your life to Christ if he's calling you to it. Don't drink salt water with your life. Drink the living water. Let him light your path. Let him heal your heart. Let him heal your marriage, your family, and your addictions. 
confess Jesus as Lord now, and I believe that you will have joy. So God, we confess that we are sinners. We confess that we are broken, and and anything you seem to give us, we kind of break it like little kids. And I would think sometimes that you lose patience with us, but you don't. You love us so much. God, for those in the room who are far from you, that don't know you, um, God, we're going we're gonna to confess to you. You already know that, but I'm telling them. God, we confess to you that we are sinful, broken people that need you. We confess that you are good and you are more than enough for us. God, would you take our lives today, we surrender them to you, and we confess you as Lord. We confess you as king of everything, and we want you to be king of our lives. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for the peace that you give to us when we don't deserve it. And God, we ask that you would give us this living water so that we might never thirst again. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now is the time that we're going to take communion. Um, the communion, uh, well, when we take communion, we ask that you do it as a believer. So if you're not a believer, just sit. If you don't believe Jesus is Lord, just sit. Um, the Bible actually says if you do it, you're drinking his wrath. It's like, it's like almost like, uh, I'm going to get a little too extra biblical. It's almost like you're just reminding him that you're still apart from him. Um, and so what I encourage you to do is um, check and ask God if you're a true believer. Um, if you've surrendered your life to him, like you're good, okay? But it might be good to confess before you go. Um, so we're going to go and we're going to be reminded that Jesus died for us. We're going to be reminded that he rose again and conquered sin and death on our behalf when we take the communion. We take the gluten-free bread, we dip it in the juice, and we're reminded that God loved us enough to give his everything for us. So during the next song, um, if, you, uh, if you'd like to take communion, please go and do it. You can sing along. Um, I'll be in the back if you'd like someone to pray with you. If you accepted Jesus for the first time, please let me or someone else know, and we'd just love to pray for you and encourage you. Um, let's continue to worship God through uh, communion and through song.